people don't know what it is to be champions. Oklahoma invented it. This is the Under the Visor podcast. From the OU Insider Studios, here's your host, Brandon Drum. All right. Well, welcome to another OU Insider podcast. Uh, it is Brandon Drum, uh, lead team and recruiting analyst, along with the assistant lead, the assistant team and recruiting analyst, uh, Colin Kennedy, here with me. Uh, we are going to have the author and former Bleacher Report college football writer, Brandon Sneed, on with us later on. Uh, he's going to be on talking about his book. Uh, sooner the making of a football coach, Lincoln Riley's rise from West Coast, West West Texas to the University of Oklahoma. Uh, so it's going to be a loaded, loaded, loaded podcast. Um, but hey, that's what we're here for. I know you insider to feed y'all some information. Don't forget, fifty uh, percent off right now uh, throughout the month of August while we celebrate ten years of OU Insider and ten years of Two Four Seven Sports. That ends on August thirty first, and after that, it'll go back to full pricing. So take take advantage of that. Or you can do if you want to go month to month, you can do one dollar for the first month, uh, then nine ninety five the rest of the time because there's going to be a college football season as it stands right now, and that's huge. Uh, so we have a loaded po- podcast 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 today. Uh, and we're going to talk Sooner Summit. We're going to talk Kelvin, Kelvin Gilliam. We're going to talk uh, Demon Harmon. Uh, all that stuff that Colin went out to Virginia to see, and he covered that exclusively on OU Insider, CBS HQ, CBS Sports HQ. And then obviously, I was uh, invited to go to the Sooner Summit at night, uh, and I went Friday night, Saturday night for a few hours, and then left and came back home after a couple of interviews. So. Um, Colin, let's start with Virginia, man. Uh, and, and I guess we will we will get a little bit of college football talk here as well, what we're hearing team-wise. But, man, hey, you had some ups and downs trying to get that thing accomplished. Uh, <laughs> it wasn't the best thing ever to happen to you, but you made a name for yourself, number one. Uh, the creativity uh, got all the way back out here to us uh, via CBS HQ. And man, uh, was, was that a, a whirlwind a couple of days for you or what? Yeah, it was definitely a roller coaster, but that's live television, man. So you live and learn as it goes. But I was excited to be a part of that process. Obviously, anyone who knows Kelvin Gilliam and that family understands just how great of a kid he is and how deserving of a moment he is. And so to get out there and to help the family and to help CBS sports out with something like that meant a lot. Now with an opportunity as great as that comes a ton of responsibility. And then of course, with that responsibility comes a ton of challenges. So as a result, there was probably a four day span where I was obviously solo trying to figure out the ins and outs of how we're going to execute this thing. And I'm not going to lie after pulling off that Caleb Williams commitment we did on CBS sports, 
I was feeling pretty good. I was confident coming in. I felt like I could pull this off with ease. We had everything scheduled, shipped out early. CBS even sent me a light kit. And so I was sitting there like, you know what, man? It's going to go over smoothly. It'll <laughs> happen. It'll be a great event for everybody. But naturally, fires tend to find ways to start themselves. And as a result, I endured what was a good amount of panic behind the scenes in order to put that thing together. Now, I'm sure I'll dive into more of the creative aspect of things as we continue this week. I've got a couple of podcasts scheduled, and I, I've actually really appreciated a lot of the people reaching out saying, hey, talk more about the behind-the-scenes efforts because, number one, we love to hear about the technical aspect of how it, you're able to pull these off. And number two, we really like hearing about those subtle heart attacks that you have to endure every time you pull these things off. But <laughs> in the end, man, it was really cool, and I'm glad it all worked out. And Kelvin and I were talking about a little bit today just how awesome of an experience it was for all involved. And as a result, man, not only is he now in Oklahoma Sooner and his recruitment is shut down, but he has a memorable, lifelong experience that he's going to take with him for the rest of his life. Yeah, the entrance alone—that was—that was really cool. I guess. Cool. I mean, so did he? Did he come into music? I know there was like a line of people cheering him on and stuff like that. From what I could gather from the Zoom that you set up for me, um, but wh- what was? How did? How did that all that all that work? Yeah, so he had a private vehicle pull up with him and his family. Oh wow! So he had a new startup business called the sequel shout out to those guys i was able to work with them pretty closely they're they're really good dudes young like me coming up and they helped out gilliam with some of the ins and outs of the actual event planning and so they pull up in this private vehicle the family comes in to to schedule music and then kelvin walks in i mean it was like rick flair was entering the arena (laughs) he was energizing everyone was cheering and he's high-fiving hugging people all the way through and then plays his pre-commitment announcement video he's settling in we get him called into cbs sports and then from there it kind of took away but it was a lot before then as well i mean he was very on top of things he said hey you know i'd like to do a rehearsal i'd like to make sure everything in terms of the event is planned out and so it was really fascinating to see all of these efforts and this image that kelvin had in his mind come together and so as a result that's kind of how it all it was all formulated and then you saw, obviously, live yeah. national television. He, he was sitting there. He was answering all the questions. He provided the right answers, I'm sure. And then, boom, the uh, epic quote of Boomer Sooner Baby has apparently taken off on social media. So <laughs> that's how it goes, man. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, no, okay. So I, I talked to Kelvin, I want to say two or three hours before he went on. Um and we were discussing the ups and downs as the behind the scenes stuff. And he's like, you know what, man, like the guy has to be like the most upbeat human being walking the face of the earth because he was like, you know what? It was a struggle, but it's exactly how I envisioned it in the end. And that's all that really matters. And I was like, you know what, man, you're going to be all right when you get older because you, you see life as it is and that's exactly how you're supposed to supposed to view everything and not be a curmudgeon about everything. So, uh, he, he's a, he's a good kid. He's a very energetic kid. He's a very demanding kid. I mean, he's a type A personality, six minute long to start. I mean, we can discuss the, the video to start. That was, that was quite interesting. Cause I, I, I want people to envision this. So, okay. 
I call and I set this thing up for everybody to begin with. And I specifically told Kelvin, hey, I need a minute and a half, two and a half minutes at the most, as long as the visit, or as long as the video is going to be. They, he sends it to me. He's like, I got it. I sent it to you. I've already watched it and seen it. I'm call, I call Colin and Colin goes, oh my God. As I pick up the phone, I go, yeah, six minutes, bro. How are we going to get this on live television? He goes, we're going to have to dumb it down a little bit. And so how did you all get that? that aspect kind of uh, because it was a well done, very good, uh, yeah. complete six minutes of video uh, for people that are interested in that, like myself and you, that's great. But getting people on live television to sit there and wait on an announcement for six minutes is another story, especially with commercials and all that stuff that, that you have to go through. But so how did you communicate that to Kelvin in the end and his family? Yeah. So look, like you, like you said, it was a really well done six. Very, minutes. very, very well done. Had me on the edge of my seat the entire time. It was emotional. It was heart tugging, and and rightfully so. I mean, this is a big time moment for him, and I'm all for kids doing something like that because this is their day. Yep. But at the same time, like you said, we're dealing with live television. As someone who, for me personally, came up in live TV, I know that 30 seconds is considered incredibly long in the world of sports <laughs> TV. So six minutes is asking the world. And we were in sitcom. Able to, that's a sitcom. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's basically an episode for a lot of other shows. Yeah. We, had, we basically had to communicate like, hey, we're going to find a way to showcase this six-minute video in a proper fashion to say, hey, this was an incredibly well-done video, and it's what rightfully recognizes Gilliam's recruiting and his efforts. But we're going to have to make sure, because we're dealing with advertisers, we're dealing with timing on broadcasts, we're also dealing with scheduling. I mean, there was golf and WNBA. There were a lot of other things on that program and the network that, that provided some various factors. And so we were able to get it off of CBS Sports. Shout out to all the, the production assistants at HQ and Fort Lauderdale who put together a pretty solid, obviously, minute 53 piece that you all saw on national television. It appeased everyone involved. But we also were able to play his original six-minute video in the bar itself that we were at, and we were able to put it out on various social media platforms so that anyone who wanted to see the full six minutes could. And so that we, it was a little bit of a give and take, but that's how these things go, right? And so in the end, we found a way to make sure that he got a little bit of that video with his actual moment on national television. And then also we were able to make sure that the creators of that video and everyone involved in the video, because I think in the minute 53 that you saw on national television was really just him. But in the full six minutes, what a lot of people don't know is was a lot of his family, his friends, his coaches, his mentors. And so we were able to also make them very happy by providing them a platform outside of CBS Sports HQ. So I think it worked out well for everyone involved. And in the end, I mean, we were able to put something together that made everyone very happy and made sure to not really put a cloud on a very special. Right. Well, being that Kelvin Gilliam is great, and I think that's like the third top 10 defensive end, defensive lineman that Oklahoma has picked up in the 2021 class. When you add Kelvin Gilliam to uh, Ethan Downs and then Nathan Rollins Gabange, um, that is that's huge for Oklahoma going forward. Number one, I mean, when was the last time three top 10 linemen were in the same class going to OU? And not to mention 
you have the what top one, two, three junior, junior college committed to him as well in Isaiah Co. And you're still one of the top two or three teams for the top defensive end in the country in Scooby Williams. So there is, or one of the top, like top two or three in the country, Scooby Williams. So you have a lot going on with this Link Up 21 class. And on top of that, there's another teammate of his that is one of the better defensive backs or one of the more underrated defensive backs in the country, who I personally think is a four-star top 250 kid in the country. And I think you probably would agree as well when you watch his film. Severely underrated. He's a top 247 in my mind and your mind. Uh, talking about Damon Harmon, uh, committed a couple of weeks ago to Oklahoma. You got to talk to him in person. What is your take on him? Is his commitment done? Is his recruitment completely over? Uh, what's your, Where's his mindset at right now? Yeah, I, I had a really revealing conversation with Damon, both on camera. You can go check that interview out on Oklahoma Sooners on 24-7 Sports Facebook page or on the OUinsider.com VIP board. But I was also able to really just talk to him and get to know the guy personally. And I should lead off by saying the information everyone wants to know. This guy, to me, is completely shut down. I just can't see him entertaining any other offers or opportunities from any other schools. And I think a lot of that has to do with Roy Manning and really Lincoln Riley. I mean, both of these coaches put a ton of effort into recruiting this kid, and for good reason. You mentioned he's a little bit underrated. I don't think that's necessarily a knock on any recruiting platform right now. It's just simply the fact that DeMond hasn't had a ton of opportunities to showcase himself. Obviously, with all these camp shutdowns during coronavirus, there have been very few platforms provided for guys like him to really show how talented they are against some of the nation's best across the country. And so I think once this football season rolls around, the tricky part of this as well becomes, okay, Virginia, from what the guys are telling me, has pushed its football season more towards the spring. And so these guys will probably be limited in action, which could further delay Harmon's rise in the recruiting rankings. That being said, I mean, Man, Oklahoma, whenever this dude arrives on campus, they're getting an absolute stud. I think this dude, number one, incredibly aggressive in coverage. But number two, he's just a energetic, enthusiastic, and an enigmatic presence that you want to be around. And I could see this guy easily talking plenty of trash to the opposing team while getting his teammates fired up in a very crucial situation. And that's the kind of guy that you want on the roster, right? And with Roy Manning, what he's able to do with cornerbacks right now and take them to the next level, get them to progress into that next step in their college careers, Roy Manning and DeMond Harmon, the potential of that duo teamed up for three or four years, in my opinion, should have a lot of fans very excited. And then in the end, I think DeMond Harmon is a guy, if I had to answer the question, which three-star in OU's recruiting class right now has me the most excited, for me, it's Demon Harmon, and it's no question about it. Yeah, um, I I agree with you completely. I think that Demon Harmon is a guy that I think could come in in 2021 and really kind of shake things up in the secondary because special teams as well. Don't put it past. Yeah, him. yeah, because well, because he has a chance to. He's very versatile. He's a great athlete, like you said. He's long. He's rangy, and he's. Raw. I mean, we keep hearing these things about Brand, or about uh, Josh Eaton, Joshua Eaton, and how good he's doing and getting first team reps and stuff like that. 
Well, th- to me, they're kind of similar in body structure. I know Eaton's a little bit longer, but yeah. how they play, the physicality that they play with, and the fact that they were both super raw athletes that needed coached up a little bit. They show up on campus and they wow people with the things that they can do, whether it's uh, being able to lock down and man-to-man coverage, bump and run, being able to play physical at the line and be able to play the run. Those are the type of things that when you watch Harmon's film, you sit there and you go, he can do those things. And with Grinch, guys that can do those types of things tend to play a lot, or at least they get in the rotation. So he's one of those guys I think that's going to come in and, and shock a lot of people. It's another East Coast guy, just like Justin Harrington, just like uh, I'm trying to think of somebody else from the East Coast, Shane Witter, all those guys that come in. And guess what? They're playing or potentially going to play. Uh, those East Coast guys tend to pan out right now for Oklahoma. Uh, I know Harrington hurt his knee, but I was told by a source right after he hurt his knee that if his limited time in practice is anything, that guy is not going to be around campus very long once he plays a few games. They say he's a potential, you know, first, second day type guy at 6'4", 220. So the defense, the type of dudes they're bringing in now, you know, I mean, as as Steve Wolfong said, the last couple of years for Oklahoma has been phenomenal on the recruiting trail. And to, to kind of further your point, I think this is fascinating. So the East Coast region right now has become a recruiting hotbed for specifically Oklahoma. You talk about Caleb Williams, obviously, and then Kelvin Gilliam and Damon Harmon, a couple of those other guys, but then also the targets there as well when you talk about Tristan Lee or Julio Farouk, who I'm sure we'll get to in a second. But what I find fascinating right now is the commitments of Kelvin Gilliam and Damon Harmon do two things, for me, which are huge. Number one, it furthers the Sooners' presence in that DMV region, which has become so important to the program right now. Obviously, they continue to pull talent out of the area. It really kind of started with Joseph Wete, and then they went and got two offensive linemen from the region. And now, I mean, it just seems like they're in on five, six, seven guys out of that area. And with Oklahoma continuing a landing, really infectious personalities and talented players and guys like Harmon and Gilliam and Williams – it helps them continue to build relationships in that area. And I firmly believe that these three players will help them continue to pull guys out of that region, which is so important because it brings me to my next topic. These guys out East fit exactly what Alex Grinch and Lincoln Riley want in their respective systems. I mean, when you look at DeMond Harmon and Kelvin Gillen, you mentioned it. I mean, Harmon is a guy who could play all over the defensive backfield. I think he could play all five spots, right? Yeah. Corners, agreed agreed and nickel then you look at Gilliam I mean this guy could be easily as comfortable at the three tech as he would be at like the wide nine I mean he could go anywhere on that defensive front and be just as effective when you talk about not only the speed the athleticism the versatility and the length but also the versatility and movement that they're able to provide defensively which also goes into the depth perspective that Grinch emphasizes so often I mean, man, like the East Coast region right now is really helping Grinch turn the page and start this new chapter of the Speed D defense. And as long as they continue to benefit from these recruiting efforts and getting guys like Harmon and Gilliam, mm-hmm. it's going to pay off and eventually it's going to get Oklahoma where it wants to be defensively and as a program as a whole. Yeah, so I guess before we hop into the Sooner Summit real quick, kind of walk some people through some of the things that you're hearing as far as team wise guys standing out, I guess 
young guys, we always hear the same guys returning, the Patrick Fields, the DTYs, the Deshaun Whites, you know, those those type of dudes, Trey Browns really standing out, obviously, on the offensive of line, Creed. We all know Spencer Rattler is going to be the starting quarterback. Uh, kind of walk people through what you're hearing, and I'll do the same, and then we'll hop over into the Sooner Summit a little bit and give our takes on everything we're hearing about that as well. Yeah, I would lead off with – I think it's pretty topical, right? I mean, Kennedy Brooks opting out is a big deal. And so as a result, it kind of forces some pressure onto those other young running backs in the room. And from what I'm told, a lot of those young running backs appear to be ready for the stage that will eventually be theirs once the season begins. I think Seth McGowan has kind of surprised some people early on what he's able to provide. I don't know how much of a role he'll actually be able to assume once the season begins, but it's got to be pretty encouraging that a guy who came in fairly early did well in weight workouts and then eventually has kind of established himself in these early practices looks the part and could easily play the part if games are actually being played. Now, Marcus Major, we'll see. I've heard some good stuff about TJ Pledger. We'll see if those guys can really step in and assume the role that Kenny Brooks has left for these guys to take into. Now, some other dudes that I would probably recommend. I, th- I think I think Braden Willis is in for a big year. I'm going to be honest mm-hmm. with you. I think Austin Stogner and Braden Willis, those two guys have a chance to be really special in the inside of the offense. I think Stogner now playing at, what, 250-something pounds? I mean, the dude is right. an absolute unit, and he's 6'6". What a red zone target. But also, I mean, you saw glimpses, especially towards the end of last season, of how Braden Willis can be utilized really effectively, not only in the red zone, but in various unique spots. I mean, he can kind of be a Dimitri Flowers, or he can really be a true tight end in the terms of like an Austin Stogner. And so it ended up there a stretch where he what caught, what, three straight touchdown passes in three straight, great, three straight games? Yep. Those are some interesting weapons. And then defensively, I'm sure you'll touch on a lot of those defensive guys, but I should just mention, I mean, obviously, DeLaren Turner-Yell, a lot of people kind of wondered what his status would be going into this offseason after he missed the Peach Bowl. That guy, those safeties, man, I think they're going to be headed for something really special. And then I'm excited to see what Trey Brown does. I've heard some really good things about Trey Brown. And I think he's really ready to take that Parnell Motley caliber step in his career and then eventually assume his dreams of reaching the NFL. So those would kind of be my early hearings on camp. Trey, Trey Brown quietly, according to Pro Football Focus, uh, the college football version quietly had a uh, top 10 incompletion percentage year last year, along with Parnama. How weird is that with everything that's happened with Oklahoma passing wise, that yeah. the corners were so dominant last year. People forget how good OU's corners were last year. Nobody, nobody bothered OU's on outside last year. People forget how dominant they were. The problem was safety, unfortunately, but because they were young, they were new guys, and there there was a lot of problem over the middle and stuff like that. You didn't get a lot of outside throws on Oklahoma last year. If you went and you looked at that chart, the bubbles pop up everywhere in the middle and all all over there because that's where they they attacked Oklahoma's defense. It was it was very strong on the outside and on the front seven. The safeties, nickel, as good as a year as Buki had, because he had a really good year last year, making some of the best, biggest plays of the season. Uh, 
and it wasn't so much the starters. I mean, you saw what happened whenever they would pull DTY and Patrick Fields out in for young guys. The depth just wasn't there, and it showed constantly as the year progressed. The start of the season all the way up through the Texas game, Oklahoma's defense was nasty. And then it just dropped off, and it dropped off in a, in a big way, but it, and it had its fluctuations where it would go up and down. But it, that was depth. Depth was a problem. When you talk to sources now, they feel really good about depth. And Grinch talked about it the other day. He said, you know, the funny thing is, is we've never had in two years here consecutive days of playing our starters on defense. Like the starters have never been – all starters, all 11 guys haven't been out there at one time, two back-to-back – in back-to-back days, not one time since he's been in Norman. That's kind of mind-boggling to see what he did – with everything considered, you know, injuries, Corona, all that stuff that's happening. And yet here you are talking about this defense that could be quite a bit better. I mean, it was good last year. Yeah. It was okay. Good last year, I guess I would say overall, but they think it could be a top 25, 30 defense this year. I mean, there's people that actually think that because of the depth, the length, they're different on the back end than they've ever been. It's kind of weird to see. Yeah, and especially I, after five years. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I think kind of the 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 couple of guys that I would really highlight here. So we talk about some of the numbers. It, it's hilarious to me because everyone tries to find ways to really rag on the Oklahoma secondary. And then look, there were some learning curves, right? But you talk about those PFF numbers, man. I have seen. I, I'm almost going to write about this. I have seen Brendan Radley Hiles, mm-hmm. Parnell Motley. Jaden Davis, all appear in these statistical highlights where basically they're being proved to be very effective and efficient coverage. Now, of the core, I think I would really highlight Jaden Davis because of the depth that we're talking about, Mm -hmm. right? Trey Brown, we've kind of accounted for it. And I think we've also kind of noted on the OU Insider VIP board when we talk about other camp standouts, I think Jeremiah Cradell is going to take a big step this year. Some of those younger like Woody Washington will really learn their way in. and Bryson Washington. Well, those, those safeties are really going to settle in now that they're heading into their upperclassmen seasons. But Jaden Davis, to me, is a guy in camp who really has to take that step forward in order for this defense to reach astronomical levels. And I think he can. I think Jaden was really good to begin the year, but obviously he was asked to do a lot more as a younger guy. And, and look, it should not be shocking to anyone when young players go through the ups and downs of the season. I mean, hey, nope. I'm – the ups and downs of my job. I mean, it's just what happens in life. Now, Jaden Davis going into what his true sophomore year, I think right. the guy's gonna be really good. And if he is really good, like I think he will be, then that's gonna really benefit this defense. Now, going off of that, you mentioned the front seven. Some other camp standouts that you constantly hear about that we don't really need to touch on, right? Are Brian Osamoa and Deshaun White, the two linebackers who we assume will start. I think they don't really like Brian but the course of this defense is going to go with Deshaun White. And I think for me, I've kind of touched on it with RJ and I've touched on it with you and various other people who have asked me about it. What really fascinates me with Deshaun White is I think he has every, every single leadership quality you need defensively at Mike linebacker. I think he has every single instinctual habit to make you successful as an interior backer. But Kenneth Murray was different because they allowed him to be a pass rusher right off that wide knot. 
Now, Deshaun, I would assume right now, probably isn't going to assume that kind of role because they will really need him inside. He's not as athletic either along. That's right. Thing. And yeah. It comes with the territory, right? But you would rather have Deshaun in the interior right. because of what he's able to do. He's more of a pass coverage guy, which I like. Is Osamoa going to be that dude? I mean, we've heard a ton about him in camp, but we, we go off the camp standouts. Camp questions for me are, Obviously, who will provide that depth, I think, is going to be Jake Davis. But how are they going to provide a replacement for what Kenneth Murray brought as a pass rush? David Uwegbu. Yep, David Uwegbu is the big storyline to follow. Because I think Osamoa's got the athleticism to do it. But I think Uwegbu, I mean, man, that dude was very good. Him and Benito. He provides the versatility. He provides that versatility that you really want as someone who could be back there or right up front. And so – those are kind of some kind of things that we talk about camp standouts, but camp storylines, man, defensively, that's what I'm kind of keeping an eye on. I think it's going to be fascinating to learn more as we get closer to the season start. Yeah, it is. So what version are we going to see of this speed D? Is it going to be similar to last year? Is it going to be different in how they attack? Because they don't have Gallimore and Kenneth Murray wreaking havoc on the defensive line. Or Parnell Motley, who shuts down one side of the field. He is so underrated that, and he was so good last year that he he's probably going to be a starter in the NFL as an undrafted rookie. I mean, that's he's working camp right now, man. I know it's freaking hilarious. So, I mean, how did he not? I don't know how he didn't get drafted. Everybody said, "Well, he didn't run." His forty was okay, if I remember correctly. It was that his other times weren't that great. And I was like, "Dude, he's a football player. Who cares?" I, I watched this dude shut down the Bolitnikov winner in the freaking peach bowl last year. What was he one for 10 uh, against him? He was, he got one completion and 10 attempts in, during that game. And I can remember that stat because I was like, dude, if they had five Parnell Motley's out there, they would have been a problem for LSU, but they didn't. They had other people out there that were getting beat, unfortunately. So, um, but it is what it is. Uh, I'm hearing a lot of things about Andrew Rame. Uh, I hear he's challenging for a guard spot. Um, I'm hearing that, obviously, Uwegbo, we talked about him. Uh, they love him. Um, I'm hearing uh, Perkins is playing really well, and they're trying to do a lot of things with the suspensions, obviously, trying to get that dwindled down. Uh, Lincoln Riley shot at the NCAA, calling it uh, the, the role archaic was pretty awesome, if you will. I, I love when – I lo- I know it's true, but I love Feisty Riley. Feisty Riley is the best. Uh, the Pretenders, the Archaic. I mean, he has a he has a he has a Switzer streak in him every now and then where he gets real brash, and it's pretty fun to watch. And uh, here, uh, another you you talked about Jaden Davis. I've heard he's doing really well during this uh, camp, um, and I've also heard uh, Bryson Washington was dinged up a little bit, but now he's back doing some things or supposed to be back soon. Uh, prior to that, he was doing really good. Um, I've heard Marcus Major, TJ Pledger. Uh, somebody talked to me the other day and said TJ Pledger is just a dude. And I, I, there is there is some truth that TJ Pledger is a guy that I would get on the field just because you got to think about it like this. Okay. There's certain people that you, I talk to that think Oklahoma is recruited over Kennedy Brooks. That's how they feel. Like, they really feel that way. And that's crazy to think a 
two-time thousand-yard rusher, but they think the talent is greater. Now, do these are these people decision makers? No, but I mean, there's just there in people's mind. There's a and and I think that's kind of crazy talk a little bit. Um, yeah. But I know Oklahoma feels depth wise they're pretty good at running back. Uh, they they do they feel pretty good now. The one thing they worry about, from my understanding, is okay. Brooks doesn't come back next year. Uh, you lose Ramondre, uh, and say TJ Pleasures decides to transfer. Well, now you're only left with Seth McGowan, Marcus Major, and what maybe Kamara Wheaton and Mikey Henderson, and maybe Brian Darby if he was to decide to move over from wide receiver, which he's another name. And and besides Marvin Mims that you hear of young guys that have really shined um, because Brian Darby has some experience at running back. Um, So it's almost like you have to play TJ Pledger some this year just to keep him happy. Well, well, you got to play TJ Pledger regardless. Yeah, you do because right now the depth wise, but yes, but I mean, even if you didn't and Brooks was back, his butt better be on the field because if not, there is a there could be three dudes leaving and only one guy coming in. <laughs> Make sure that's not a good return, dude. That's not yeah. a good return. So I, I've touched on this in the past, and I, I've kind of campaigned for TJ to get a little bit more playing time. But here's my thing. So I'm a big Kennedy Brooks guy. I, I really love his game, and I think anyone who counts what he brings to the table is really kind of out of their mind. I mean, this dude. <laughs> Nine yards of carry look like he's galloping. I would agree. I would agree. Now, here's the thing. For me, I thought TJ Pleasure going into this year was going to be the perfect candidate as that third down back, right? Because Ramondre Stevenson, obviously he he probably deal with the suspension. When he comes back, he'll be that road grader. Kenny Brooks is just the easy chunk yardage pickup. But they needed a guy, especially because I think Trey Sermon doesn't always get a ton of credit for what he's able to do in the passing game. They need a guy right now who can catch the ball out of the backfield and do something with the ball once they have it in his hands. Mm-hmm. I think Pledger is the perfect candidate to do that on third down. Now, the thing is, he's not just going to be the third down back this year. He's probably going to have to be the first, second, and third down. So, yeah. as a result, I am very excited to see what TJ can do, but I'm also never going to discount the pressure that has been on Kennedy Brooks in the past and the pressure that is now on TJ Pledger mm-hmm. in the future and the present. Now, you also talk about Marcus Major. That's why I was about to ask you, what about that guy and Seth McGowan? Because you hear just rave reviews of those two. It's For me, I touched on this in the past. I'm very excited about what Marcus can do, but I still question the injury, right? Because, I mean – Injuries like that, yes, you can heal from them. But when you are a ball carrier, okay, those things come back to bite. I mean, lingering injuries at the running back position often mount up. I mean, you see it in the NFL all the time. A guy will suffer something somewhat minor in college, but eventually it transforms into something that some dudes just can't get over. I don't think Marcus Major is going to be that way. Mentally, too. That's a, that's what you're. Is that kind of where you're going at? Yeah, it can be a holdback type of situation. Can, can, I, can I throw out an analogy here? Check this out. This is almost hilarious that you bring this up. So my son gets cleared. To, mm-hmm. You know, he broke his collarbone. What was it? Five weeks ago. He gets cleared. Okay? He healed very, very fast. The doctor says, you know what? He can play quarterback. He can hand off. He can throw. He can even run a little bit. 
but you need to put a lot of padding around it. So we went and bought like these little knee pads and put stuff around his shoulders and put a butt pad and taped it over his, uh, and got a harness and taped, put it under and taped all that stuff and strapped it underneath his uh, shoulder pads and stuff. So he had extra padding on one side. Like it's crazy how padded up he was on that side, but he still slid. He still, anytime somebody got near me, like dude, dude was losing yards and throwing the ball out of bounds because he was afraid. He turned to me and his dad, I'm scared to get hit. It was a mental block. So I said, okay, take your helmet off. You're not playing if you're going to be scared. I'm not going to play you. Next series, bing, throws a 70-yard touchdown. <laughs> so it's like, a, it was like, oh, okay, I better play. You know what I mean? But I, my point is, is that there is, even no matter how old you are, little injuries like that can become a mental harm, especially at those positions where you have to use your shoulder, like the quarterback, the running back, all that stuff. They really can. And with Marcus Major, you're dead on. You were mm-hmm. dead on. Like, will it be one of those things that he hesitates to duck his shoulder into somebody to gain a couple of yards here or there? And, and if it does, does it ding back up? That type of deal. And the other thing we have to account for here is the fact that the guy still has yet to really play meaningful snaps exactly. in college football. Yep. So now we're not only dealing with an injury like that, but we're also dealing with the mentor, mental factor of, okay, can I go up against a guy who's clearly much bigger, faster, and stronger than I am? Mm-hmm. Can I adjust to the speed of the game? Am I able to handle the playbook and some of the responsibilities that come with it? Which I think he will, by the way. I think he will too. But early on, when they really need him with Ramondre Stevenson out with suspension and mm-hmm. TJ Pledger probably carrying the load, maybe it takes a few games. And there are a few games early on in the schedule that everyone's going to have to be on their A game if they want to avoid an upset to be honest with you. So that's just something I'm keeping my eye on with Marcus Major specifically. I think he's going to be a very talented back. Right now, man, there are obviously hurdles that this entire entire team has to mm-hmm. jump over. And there's some hurdles with Marcus Major right now. So before we go any further, um, prediction, what's their record this year? Well, in a 10-game season, Are you going I could, undefeated? What's that? Are you going undefeated? I, it almost feels like it's going to land that like that just because, but they always have that one slip up. That's my thing. My so, okay. I have <laughs> to right this is my, this is my problem. Even in a year where Oklahoma had a Joe Moore award winning offensive line and Kyler Murray at quarterback with CeeDee Lamb and Marquise Brown, right? Not only did they lose a game, but they also really kind of took until about week five to, for that unit up front to really come together chemistry-wise and then boost that offense overall. And let's be honest, it was the offense the entirety of that season, mm-hmm. right? Like that unit had to carry that 2017, squad. too, they had nine, nine NFL, uh, what is it, people that were drafted in the fourth round or above. Yeah, and I mean, it's still – First and fourth round. They nine. still – and they still slipped up against Iowa State. Now, I'm looking at the schedule, man. And they still squib kicked it going into the – Yep. <laughs> Let me tell you something. Missouri State, Kansas State, I'm going to take Oklahoma big in those games, right? Especially KSU at home. Oh, I'm, yeah. Back. Yep, revenge. At Iowa State, mm-hmm. Texas, mm-hmm. at TCU, mm-hmm. at Texas Tech. Mm. That's a gauntlet, dude. I'm not – I'm, I'm going to be a realist with you. I could see a situation 
where you not only slip up once, but you could slip up twice. I agree. I because agree. Let me make my case. At I need to make it with me because I agree. Make it with the listeners. Yes. At Iowa State is huge because you are talking three games in. Last time OU went to Iowa State, it was no easy trip. Well, they got up the line. Remember, they got up and almost blew it. Yes. Two years in a row, even at home. And it was Parnell Motley on the road in Ames who came up with two interceptions to basically save OU's effort. And then, and then what did he do last year? He intercepted the ball to save him as well. Yep. Two now, version. Yep. here's the thing, okay? That game in Ames a couple years ago, the starting quarterback was Zeb Noland. All right? <laughs> the next year, they actually had Brock Purdy. And they almost got him, but it was on the road for Iowa State. It was a two-point conversion away mm-hmm. from that squad upsetting Oklahoma. Piedmont. We are talking about Iowa State at home with Brock Purdy going into what will probably be his best year, mm-hmm. getting OU potentially on the ropes with no Kennedy Brooks to bail them out on the ground. Like, that's huge for me, man. I mean, you have, still have to figure out the losses of Kennedy. Wait, wait, what game, what game was this? What game is this? Is this week five? This is week three. Iowa State's week three? Yep. Because then I'll make I'll make a prediction. I'll make a prediction real quick. Okay. I will predict. And people don't say I'm reporting this, okay? Because I'm not. Okay. Don't twist this that I'm reporting this, people. I know there's some of you out there like, well, Brandon and Drum reporting that the suspensions are gonna be. I'm predicting that they're only gonna have to sit out the first two ball games. I'm predicting that. Ramondre Stevenson will be back for the Iowa State game. I think they're going to take into account the overall uh, sentiment of the the games taken down. So they're going to only sit out since they sit out one last year. They're only going to make it two more games this year, and that's what that's that's my prediction yeah. by season by the start. That's my prediction. Now it, it, it's crucial that you make that because. Let's say in the event that it doesn't happen and OU goes into these four games without Kenny Brooks, right. Ronnie Perkins, Ramondre Stevenson, crucial members of the roster. I mean, right. Iowa State is bad, okay? I feel like I've made that argument. I, I'll skip over Texas. Everyone knows, right? I mean, throw everything out the window with that game, especially with Texas coming into this year. At TCU and at Texas Tech, okay, TCU's got a chance to be really really good this year. TCU is going to be really good. That's my prediction. They've got a chance to be, and I'm going to make Oklahoma State fans really mad at this one. TCU's got a chance to be top three in the league this year. No question about it. Especially with all those transfers. Mm. I'll tell you right now, Horn Frog's got it going. And I think they get Oklahoma at home, something will be going. And then at Texas Tech real quick, Alan Bowman, man, if Alan Bowman is healthy, and he was obviously a guy that yeah. missed the second half when he had OU on the ropes and probably could have beat him. He's healthy in this football game with TJ Vasher. I'm just saying, man, this is a four-game gauntlet right there. Can I, can I throw a little Alan Bowman story at everybody real quick? I've wow. known that little, little guy. He's not so little anymore since he was – He's a big dude. <laughs> yeah, since 2000 – 
in five, so 15 years since he was three, four years old, five years old, maybe it's how long I've known this guy. Um, maybe even earlier than that, his sister, Emily is my cousin, one of my cousin's best friends. Um, and so, and they were all, they were on the select soccer team that won the national title in Dallas stars back in the day. Um, and, or the blue or something like that. They wore blue jerseys. That's what I remember. Um, so yeah, I've known that little dude. His dad was the tight end on Penn state's national title team. Whenever they beat, I think it was Georgia and he caught the winning touchdown. So, um, it's pretty cool. I got to like wear his, I was, I'm thinking it may have been 22 at the time. Uh, I got to wear his, uh, uh, national title ring from Penn State that year, like in 80, 81, 82, 83. I can't remember. Um, but it was really cool. It was really, I mean, he comes from a very athletic family, um, very cool family, very good family. Alan is a really, really good kid. Uh, was always, he was a little honorary dude, is what he was. But to see him grow up and be what he is now, like, it's crazy to watch. Uh, but I just a weird, this weird story. Like, when I got told that, I met him his senior year, I think it was 2018, 2019, and he was throwing at some camp in Dallas. <clears throat> and I was like, dude, this this kid looks very familiar. And there's his parents and his grandpa and grandma standing over on the sideline. <laughs> and I went over and talked to him. I was like, holy crap, dude. He's got no he's really good too. Really, really good player. He's gonna be a problem this year. I think last year he was still coming back from all the uh the lung issues and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh I know for a fact that he's better. Uh he's gonna be a problem for people this year. Alan Bowman's gonna be a really good player. Yeah. Um but so do you think Oklahoma is what going eight and two, nine and one? What, what do you got? I would I would predict nine and one. That's probably where I'm going too. And because I say that because I have Oklahoma making the college football playoff. I do too. Now it probably is the four seed. But I I could see them get in as the three as well, given the current. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, so let me ask you before, I don't know people want to talk, where's the Sooner Summit at? Oh, okay. We're going to get to it in just a second. The news about the college, the college football playoff drop today. Dude, is the Pac-12 and Big Ten not kicking their own ass right now? Like, dude, we screwed up. We didn't think they were still going to go through with the college football playoff without us. Uh, everybody told you they were going to. You shouldn't have done what you did. That wasn't a good move there, Big Ten and Pac-12. Now, guess what? You have a chance to be irrelevant. Ohio State is getting they're, – they're not losing people per se, but they're losing people per se on recruiting, if that makes sense. They are – there's a lot of ups and downs with Ohio State recruiting right now. When they were the team that was just on a run – and then you see Tunamisi out of lay decommit. You hear rumblings of other stuff that's going on. You hear Oklahoma making a huge run in Mecca Egbuka. I know for a fact that he will be down in Norman at some point in the next couple of months, maybe the next month, month and a half, uh, whenever his family, they, they have a voucher to come down to Oklahoma for, to make that trip. So, uh, And when they do, there will be a five-star quarterback sitting there waiting on him to come in. And show them around the city again. I mean, it's kind of crazy how that's working out uh, for Oklahoma. So um, I, I think 
for the Pac-12 specifically, not so much Big Ten, but how bad is all this going to hurt? They're already hurting recruiting. Like, how much more irrelevant can the Pac-12 become? Well, okay. It's funny you mentioned. I don't mean that in a negative tone. You know what I mean? Like, Oregon, USC, we all know, we all respect USC, Utah. We respect them. We know they're a good program. But when you have nine other that are just, I mean, come on. We're just being honest, right? Yeah, so I see what you're saying. And it's funny you bring that up because I really felt like the Pac-12 and the Big Ten missed out on these opportunities for various reasons. Real quick, I had Ohio State winning the national championship this year. As rightly, you probably should have. They were so good this year. They were loaded, and I thought the injury to Justin Ross at Clemson really opened a door, unfortunately, for Ohio State to step through. But the Pac-12, man, I thought that when you talk about USC, Utah, and for me, most importantly, Oregon, those programs were recruiting very well. It may not have always shown up in the commitment lists, but I know for a fact, man, USC had people going in the state of Texas. I know Oregon nationally was considered the next dominant program, and Mario Cristobal, in awe of what he was able to do, and you, and I mean, like Utah, Utah is now able to go into any household and basically pitch themselves as yeah. a very viable power. Yes, you they know? get random good players all the time. Yeah, and and that could be gone. Like that, it could vanish this year, and it could not only vanish this year, but the effects could continue to hinder those programs for a good amount of the future. Let's put it that way. Agreed. It's disappointing because I really did feel like going into this year, not only did Ohio State have a championship-caliber team, I thought Oregon had every opportunity, even with a transfer quarterback coming in, to contend for a cultural playoff spot. Can we agree agree that with the college football playoff committee completely coming out and saying we're still going through with this because of the three power fives and the G5s that are still rolling out like the American Conference – and stuff like that that are still going to play that spring football is not happening. Spring football is not happening. And even if it doesn't happen, it's not working because no, nobody wants to play. You know what I mean? Like they're going to, everybody's going to opt out. They're going to be like, why am I going to waste my time for two seasons in a calendar year? And only one of them are really going to count. I actually, was the point uh, Todd McShay talk about this. And I think Todd McShay does an outstanding job. Agreed. And Todd was basically saying, look, I've talked to so many people in the world of the NFL. And apparently Todd said, every single one of them said, the concept of spring football is incredibly stupid. It's just (laughs) not going to work. Because even if you're like a fourth round pick, a fifth round pick, and you know you're going somewhere, why would you even risk it? So I don't know what... Big Ten administrators are thinking. I know for a fact that this isn't really on any program in the Big Ten. I mean, obviously, a lot of these reports have come out that a lot of the athletic directors within the conference wanted football, especially like Ohio State. But, man, for, for some of these guys in leadership positions to make a call like that and cost kids the opportunities and then cost these schools – so much money, revenue, and excitement and momentum. They have to pay for two scholarships, bro, because they, they get this year, and then they got to pay for, oh, you're a freshman this year and next year? 
because you didn't lose any of your eligibility. What the hell? Hey, and Kevin no one, Kevin Warren, we barely knew you as a back as a Big Ten president or the Big Ten commissioner. No one and barely no one, knew you. You talk about the money aspect. No one's watching spring football. If Justin Fields or Kayvon Thibodeau isn't playing, I mean, it just why? Why would you put it on when there's various other things going on? I mean, I can see the diehards going, but like at that point, if there are no premier names in college football, you're basically talking about the XFL. So I'm, <laughs> I'm sorry, but that's the truth. So that's my real quick rant on the concept. No, it's a, it, you've made a valid point. Todd McShay made a valid point. That's why I asked the question, like, wh- how are they even going to consider a spring football when the college football playoff committee came out and said, you know what? We're still doing it. Sorry, guys. And now you have the Big Ten. From what I was told today, there's like rumblings of them trying to talk everybody into canceling. And I told the person that told me that, which this person is such a smart, knowledgeable human being, by the way. And I told them the big 12, the SEC and the ACC will tell them to kick rocks because there's no way they're going to make these kids who just were on edge about whether they were going to play or not this year. They got it to where they can play and still keep their eligibility plus play for something meaningful like a college football playoff. So this is like a free year, but a really cool year, even though it's shortened because they still get to play for all the marbles and then tell them, guess what? You're not going to get to play. We're going to wait till spring. No way in hell will that happen. Not in the South, at least. For for what it's worth, like obviously we can talk about the Big Ten, the SEC, the ACC, but as a, as a group of five candidate and supporter, I can yeah. tell you right now, Conference USA, American, Sunbelt, they're going to say the same thing. Those conferences. Yeah, they have a chance to go to the playoffs this year. Yeah, they're, they're not The slow. only year they're ever going to get is this year. And several group of five sources have indicated we are not only going to go as the SEC, the ACC, and the Big 12 go, we're going to go our own routes. And right now, a lot of those squads are saying full steam ahead towards the college football season. Yeah, because they're going to be able to pick up on the scraps that the Big Ten and the Pac-12 can't get because they're on TV. Oh, well, this team's playing. I've never heard of this team. I want to go take a visit because it looks like a really cool place. There's going to be guys going to G5s that never in your mind would have ever thought about doing it in the next two years because of this. And you're going to see football, and I agree with people, I think the Ohio States of the world are going to be fine. The Michigans of the world, the Notre Dames of the world, Notre Dame's playing. The uh, uh, who else is the Wisconsin's of the world, the Nebraska's. Those those teams are going to be okay because of their name. Yeah, the USC's, the Oregon, Utah will be okay because of their name. Arizona State will be okay because of who their head coach is. Um, outside of that, those seven eight programs out of like thirty two, the rest are going to hurt, and those those players that normally go to those guys are going to go to the Kansases of the world. They're going to go to the, you know what I mean? Like you're going to see the 12 football take a, take a jump up over the next couple of years because of recruiting, because they're going to have played uh, the North Texas's of the world are going to be out in the front. Those, those type of teams are going to make a jump in talent. SMU, UCF. And you're already seeing it with SMU. Met- Memphis. I'm just saying right now, like those group of five schools that have had a ton of success recently that kind of been swept under the rug outside of their region because of the Pac-12 or the Big Ten, I mean, 
Memphis, SMU, UCF have fielded some darn good football teams. Yes, they have. And if a California kid gets to watch the Memphis Tigers dominate on a Saturday night, I'm telling you, man, they're going to be making a trip out to Tennessee. Yes, they are. And especially, like you said, North Texas, SMU, Memphis, UCF, they're in great spots too. Very cool cities. Mm-hmm. There's, I mean, my God, they have recruiting at their whim now because they're going to be in the limelight like they've never been. Even when UCF was making that magical run under Scott Frost, they weren't in the limelight. They will be in this year because they're going to be one of the few teams that are going to be on every Saturday to watch. There may only be 25,000 people in the stands at these places, but my God, there will be millions of eyeballs watching it. And I thought that was a beautiful move made by these conferences because you don't want to be the one big entity sports-wise in the United States that that bows down to this virus and says, you know what, we're not going to play or at least give a shot uh, while Major League Baseball, NFL, NBA, and no, I know it's not professional, but guess what? The money is professional in college football. We all know it. That's why you're going to have the NIL starting in July of 2021 um, where kids are going to get their own, they're going to get paid off their likeness. Uh, so because they need pay, they need at least some sort of, and I know there's going to be stipulations, grades and stuff like that that you have to adhere to, to get this money probably. But, and I'm saying probably, cause I don't know for sure. It's just being academic. You would think that that would be one of the stipulations they make you do. Cause you have to go to class, right? If you're going to go to college. So it, it had to happen. And I do think that this is going to be, it was just a great move overall in my mind because you can't have yourself sitting here going, well, we're not going to play because of the virus. Okay, well, you want to be that person. You want to be that, that sport that people haven't thought about in, or seen on TV for 18 months because 18 months from now, they would rather be watching something else that maybe they got into instead of what they'd watched for years. I mean, that's how quickly nowadays these eyes can change with people because we're so short-sighted and so now, 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 because of all the, the phones, the internet, all that stuff. That wasn't a risk that I thought could be taken. And the commissioners of the Big 12, SEC, ACC, and these G5 programs saw that and said, you know what, we're not going to risk that. We're not going to risk this millions of dollars because it's not going to be just 2020. It's going to be 2021, 2022 until you remember the backlash from all the strikes and stuff that happened in sports. You remember how long it took fans to come back to some of those. It's the same thing with this. It's the same principle, just different circumstances. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just to kind of put a bow on the discussion, because I know we've been putting off the season. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> for me, I mean, if college basketball is already working on solutions, and it's not too long right now until college basketball season actually begins. Yeah. If that's taking place and you're refusing to play college football, I'm probably not the best look. Just my point. Fair enough. That's a, that's a good way to end it right there. Um there was a big Sooner Summit this weekend in Oklahoma City, Norman, whatever you want to have it. Uh, and OU Insider, we got invited as one of the two. I think the Athletic was there for a little bit. I would, I never got to see them. 
Um, I think they showed up for like a lunch with them or something like that. But uh, uh, I know that Parker Thune, John Hoover were with them. They were with them far more than I was, which was a very good move on their part. Uh, And they did a good job covering it. I want to give kudos to Parker Thune, John Hoover, because, man, I'm telling you that Parker Thune kid is going to be a star. People, remember that name. Remember the name, people. I said it right here. Colin knows him very well. I know him pretty well. Um, He's a rising star in the industry, still kind of in college, doing his thing. But he does a really good job, has really started to pick up how to to grind and do things that sometimes isn't it's almost would you, would some people consider taboo i guess to go interview people at a dinner or whatever that even if you're invited to it whatever i don't care uh we got information we got to build relationships with people like uh i that's probably my fav- favorite part of doing everything is i get to build relationships with parents and I don't talk to the kids a whole lot uh, more than I, as much as I do uh, the parents because the kids get hounded enough, in my opinion. That's how I've always viewed recruiting. So I, I, I do talk to the kids. And you know this. I've talked to you about it, Colin, how I love just getting to know the parents because the parents have interesting stories. They tell say things kids usually won't and stuff like that. And so it's more of and, – and it's more of a respect thing because i got two boys. And I always say – I want to know who's talking to my kids and that's kind of how I'm, I'm kind of a protective type kind of dude. So uh, that's kind of how I always attack it. So I thought it was really cool this weekend. So uh, got to talk to some people there. Then Saturday night um, I showed up as I was there before I got there and they were already talking to some folks um, and they watched uh, Kelvin Gilliam's thing on, a, they, they streamed it. Uh, which was really cool to see their reactions and watch them cheer him on as he did it. Uh, but it was a well-done thing by uh, Carl Williams and Caleb Williams. The way they put it together was freaking phenomenal. Uh, it was just awesome. I mean, the way they did this thing uh, in no coaching interaction except for the zoom call, which was, if you hear the story about Aiden, uh, Aiden, uh, what's his name? Huh? Aiden Lee, man. I just went blank. If you hear the story about Aiden Lee, uh, I was talking to his mom, Laura, and she said it was kind of the coolest thing because they were, I guess coach Riley had called Tristan Lee up to the, to the screen or whatever. Um, and, uh, he was talking to him. He said, is your mom and dad there or your mom and your brother there? And he said, yeah. He said, well, walk him up to the screen. So he went, his mom has some health issues. He went and walked her up to the screen and Aiden followed. And he talked, I guess coach Riley talked to both of them for a bit. And he said, Aiden, guess what? We want to offer you. And they said the whole room erupted, just mm-hmm. went nuts. So, uh, and I got a text probably five, 10 minutes after it happened saying, Hey, they just offered Aiden Lee, uh, which, and then I got a call soon after that to tell me kind of how it happened, which was really cool to hear. I mean, the way they put this thing together, I don't think Oklahoma could have even done it because the vibe that it had, because they didn't have to worry about coaches and people harassing them saying, you got to go here. Now you got to go here. You got to go here. Like they did things on their own terms. Yeah. 
Like, cause I would get a text saying, Hey, we want you to come here. And I'm like, no, I can't come here. Okay. Well, we're going to try to go here like later on, but you knew it was going to be never at that time. Like they didn't do anything at a set time. I think that's what made it so cool with these kids was despite the itinerary that Carl made up, I don't think they stuck to it to a T. Mm-hmm. Obviously they did the night stuff. So you knew they were going to, eat at a certain time but other than that it was like whatever from what i'm told um so i thought that was pretty cool uh and i guess everybody enjoyed it when i talked to tristan lee he said this experience made him think about everything now i know he's trying to get back down to lsu uh his mom said they don't know if they're going to be able to go on any trips because they've been to 21 places they spent so much money on all these trips out of their own pocket that they would like the next trips to be official visits. Mm-hmm. And they don't know that that's going to happen. They're pretty positive it's not. So Oklahoma's in a really good spot. As long as Tristan Lee doesn't go back, and we're talking about the five-star O-lineman, Tristan Lee doesn't go back to Baton Rouge, I think Oklahoma has a really good shot. And Steve Wilfong talked about it on a podcast today, how Oklahoma's tricky in a tricky good spot here where not a lot of people were talking about them, but now they are. They're like, oh, my God. Oklahoma really does have a really good shot with Tristan Lee. And some people actually think that Oklahoma leads now, which uh, it kind of depends on who you talk, talk to. I know some people around Tristan Lee think Oklahoma leads. I know some people at LSU that I talk to still think LSU is kind of in the driver's seat, but they are worried about Oklahoma quite a bit more than they ever were. Um, and uh, the I thought it was kind of funny when I talked to some people at there that they said, hey, uh, LSU wasn't the team that most people were talking about there when it came to Lee. I kept hearing Alabama before Brock. It was like, well, they were going to go to Alabama before Brockemeyer. What? I didn't, you know, I never, and that, that shocked me. But when I talked to people at Alabama or Swords of Alabama, they're like, yeah, that's, that's the case. That's totally the case that Alabama felt so good about where they stood with Tristan Lee. Mm-hmm. So, and you know, the, the team that they were worried about more than anybody else. Oklahoma. That's weird. So you have this dynamic where Oklahoma c- continues to be this factor in all this. And when I talk to sources out East, they tend to think that Oklahoma is in the driver's seat. Now I want to temper everybody's expectations and say, yeah, that may be the case and they may be in the driver's seat, but let's see how all this falls a week or two after the summit and all the excitement goes away and all that stuff, because will he go back to this LSU line or will he stick with, with Oklahoma because of Caleb and the potential of playing with Jalil Farouk and his buddies like Savion bird, who could be Oklahoma could be in a really good spot with him as well. I mean, I mean that, that, that to me is kind of where it's interesting. And then when you talk about, Alabama's commit defensive back four star Juco, the number one Juco defensive back in the country. Uh, Kyrie Jackson came. Mm-hmm. He already had his visit set up. Okay. He didn't want it out. It got out. Whatever. We kept our, we kept it quiet. Uh, I did what I told the kid I was going to do uh, because before they got on the plane to come down here, I got a text from Carl Williams. I said, Hey, please meet us at the airport and interview the kids, kind of get them acquainted to, you know, the situation that because there's going to be media around them a lot. Like I said, there was three outlets that were around them at any given time during this trip. 
So um, I went and I interviewed Tristan Lee to start. I interviewed uh, Kyrie and I talked to Caleb. I talked to Jaleel when they landed. I talked to Tristan Lee's mom, uh, Aiden Lee, kind of introduced myself to all those guys. Um, and Kyrie really didn't want it out that he was there. And I was like, that's fine. Well, of course it got out. And so he knew that I wasn't the one that broke it, which, uh, which was good for us. Um, well, I talked to a couple of sources and it sounds like Kyrie, I don't know if he's, I wouldn't say flip is on watch. He's thinking about things more than he thought. And I can vouch for that because before, when I did the interview with him, before I left on Saturday night, um, he said, Hey, this place was really cool. It made me think, I don't know what more to do here. Uh, I'm still committed to Alabama is what he said. He said, but this place was way cooler and better than I thought he goes. And he said, I have some stuff to think about, but I'm still committed to Alabama. So, I mean, that to me sounds like a kid that's always going to stick with Alabama. So let's, let's make that straight. I, I by no means think he's going to flip at all, but I do think that the way the visit was done and the trip was done that it made him kind of, man, you know, this was really cool. And I'm friends with all these guys. Like he's really good friends with all these guys. So that, that kind of deal to me was bigger than anything else. And then when you get to see these guys all together, they really did look like they were friends. Even with the 2022 guys, they looked like friends up there all hanging out. No, granted, when you have Colin Montgomery, Caden, uh, or Caleb Williams, uh, Jalil Farouk, and uh, Savion Bird together, the entertainment is kind of funny to watch because they're quite the personalities in general. You want to know who the, the biggest personality was there was Kobe McKenzie. By far the biggest personality. That dude, <laughs> that dude's a jokester. He's always joking with everybody. I sat by uh, Carl and Dana and was talking to them. I just was just kind of watching their interactions, and that he's he's kind of the center of attention at all times. And you can kind of get that vibe when you interview him too. So they're all really good kids. This was a really good event, event put on by Oklahoma. We had full coverage on OUinsider.com. I mean, as best as we could. We showed up at night. I had people that were texting me stuff that was going on during the event. So we got some pretty cool updates uh, throughout. Um, but I think Oklahoma hit a home run for something they could be not a part of. And having Carl Williams put that together uh, along with Caleb, I mean, the work that they put in setting everything up, uh, making sure it, it went well, uh, making sure everybody was always on the same page during the event I've never seen anything like it. I mean, yeah, that, 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 I mean, any given, obviously he had other parents helping him. I think Danny Stutzman's parents showed up, uh, Savion Bird's parents showed up. Um, trying to think who else's parents showed up. Cody Jackson's parents showed up. Um, Colin Montgomery's parents showed up. So obviously there was parents there, you know, putting, helping them keep everything pretty organized. So as a unit, the parents that were at that event 
they helped out more than anything else. And I thought that was pretty cool to see because they all showed up at different times whenever we were at the food places. Uh, so when I showed up to the food place, uh, there was like five or six people there already. And uh, I think SI was already interviewing a couple of them. Um, but they all come in like one by one. But you you kind of had a feel that they all were going to come in, you know, boom, 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 because they were all on the same page. And to get people to do that and not back out of certain events during these type of trips, because you know there's always somebody's like, oh, I'm tired, I don't want to do this, I don't want to do that. It didn't happen. And I thought that was more impressive than anything else, keeping them entertained and keeping them all on the same schedule. Carl Williams, Dana Williams, uh, Caleb Williams, impressive. You have to bow down. And you know uh, if you're the OU staff, they're probably like, Man, aren't we glad we got uh, Caleb Williams to commit? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, who puts something like that together? You know, that's crazy. It's it's never been done before. But now you see all these other programs. Ohio State, I've heard it's going to do one. I've heard uh, Michigan. I've heard Georgia put one on. I've heard North Carolina is trying to get one done. I hear like these programs are trying to do assimilation of the Sooner, Sooner Summit now. Like. It's a thing now, and Carl Williams set the standard on how to do that. They put that thing – you remember they told us they were going to do that uh, when we were out there in D.C.? They said, we're going to have this event, and it's going to be huge. Mm-hmm. And you and I both looked at each other like, man, I don't know how they're going to do this. Yeah. They did it. They did it. Um, kind of what's your takeaway on it? Yeah, well, they did it, and they did it real well, didn't they? I mean, this was yeah, – it, I'm, still, I'm still in shock of how well it went almost perfect i mean 10 out of 10 now i'll be honest to everyone listening i i was it was liberating for me to just be hands off with the sooner summit as i trusted you and steve wiltfong and all of our other national guys to be all over this thing but i mean even as hands off as i was you could still feel the effects Mm -hmm. right yeah especially where you were yeah, I mean, even as I'm out in Richmond, Virginia, Kelvin Gilliam and Damon Harmon keep talking about how this Sooner Summit is going to be a big deal. And I'll probably drop some notes on the OU Insider VIP board, so stay tuned for that. But for me, when I just look at this as a whole, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that it was as good, if not better, than an actually structured official visit, right? No, because I don't know how that could happen, you know? I mean, there's nothing truly like getting in the facilities with the coaches. But that being said, I mean, I would argue that given the situation that OU's in right now on the recruiting trail, this was probably the way to go. And why I say that is because I think everyone in this this class or these – this target board kind of knows what OU's about as a whole, right? Obviously the kids weren't able to be on campus as much in the past, like take a, a Danny Stutzman, for example, right? Who saw the campus for the first time. Yeah. Sure. He wasn't able to be boots on the ground before, but I mean, the guy had an outstanding virtual visit. And as a result, I mean, he was already kind of buying into the message. Mm-hmm. But for me, I think when you look at the Sooner Summit, right, and why, in my opinion, it was, quote unquote, the best case scenario, it's really all about right now for Oklahoma capitalizing on relationships, mm-hmm. right? The DeMond Harmon thing in the end really helped Kelvin Gilliam pull the trigger. The Caleb Williams thing 
in the end helped other guys in this class eventually pull the trigger. It's that domino effect that Oklahoma is trying to create that can really be facilitated with something like the Sooner Sun. And so to just get these guys around each other, in my opinion, separates the whole, okay, I'm playing for OU, I'm going to be a part of this program, and I will be a contributor to this business, if you will. And instead, it makes it all about, okay, I'm going to be around these guys for this next portion of my life. I'm going to be at these places. This is the community that I will be officially a part of. This is how I can spend my time or how I can trust others around me to help me through whatever my schedule looks like. I hope this makes sense. But in the end, I think that this allowed guys to really, not in a way that can be experienced in like an official visit setting, open their eyes to how they can experience college life at a a university like Oklahoma with the guys around them. And in the end, man, I can tell you on and on about how, sure, it's all about the program or the name brand or the coaches who are in the building. But there is nothing truly like a friendship or relationship that can really help in the recruiting world. And as a result, man, if this summit created any sort of bond that these guys can utilize and eventually capitalize on and come together. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that has to be something that not only I don't think could have been created in more of a structured official visit professional setting, but it has to be something that could probably be even more beneficial for this football team. In the end. No, I 100% agreed. Um, because I mean, you touched on the friendship thing. I asked Savion Bird, you know, has him and Kamar Wheaton talked about uh, playing together? Yeah. And they're friends. They're very good friends. And he smiled. He said, you know, all the time, um, you know, we discuss where, where we want to go, where we want to be. And obviously, Kamar was supposed to drop. I don't know. Did he end up dropping his top two like he said he was going to tonight? Before we went on the air, he had not. Yeah, so. I still haven't seen it. I don't think it happened. I'll go look while you go on. Yeah, so um, and now you got to go check Instagram too, right? You got to check both entities. That's the bad, bad part about all this. But uh, so, yeah, um, and he hasn't. Um, so he went on and he said, hey, um, we talk about it all the time. Um, and I said, okay, well, walk me through with Kamar and who this guy is. Uh, because he's such so quiet and he does things so different. Um, and we talk about that all the time on OU Insider, just how different this dude is talking about five-star running back Kamar Wheaton. And he laughed and he goes, dude, he's so different. He's so quiet. He just does everything for his mom and his family. And I said, okay, I've heard that and I, I believe that. Uh, so what do you think he sees in this recruiting process? And he goes, family. He wants to stay close to family. Okay, so fast forward to today. He Kamar went on, I guess he spent six, seven hours um, in Norman. I never saw him at the summit because I only showed up at the night night portion of the stuff. So um, I never got to interview him, but Steve Wilfong did. Um, and from everything I was told, he had a great time. 
And anybody that wants to read Steve Wolfong's interview with the, you can go to OUinsider.com. It's on our VIP board. Yeah, it costs, but it's worth the read. There's a lot of good information from the summit that we haven't even discussed here. Like I gave a generalized version of, yeah, they, you know what I mean? That they, they set everything up and how organized uh, Carl Williams is. He's a, he's an amazing amazingly organized human being. And that's kind of what I was discussing earlier, how he did all this, him and his wife and Caleb, it's immaculate how they did it. But um, so, uh, and it took a month and a half for them to do it, put it together, which is just even more impressive. That's how much, how bad they were about it. But I digress. Um, So Savion goes, you know, he wants to stay close to home and so do I. That's kind of how I see it. I want to be close to my family so they can watch me play football. Okay, fast forward to today, you know, we talked about Kamar showing up. You hear he had a great time, got to catch passes from Caleb. They ran routes, they hung out, they went out to eat. They did things together. They did the Zoom call with Riley, all that stuff. He left and went back home because of his mother's birthday. He was supposed to show up the day before. They were driving. He felt bad leaving his mom on her birthday weekend. They turned back around, decided they were going to wake up at 4.30 in the morning and show up early in the morning. So, um what happened was, is uh, I talked to a couple of people outside of Savion. They're all like, you know what? I think Oklahoma has this now. Today, he comes out and says the top two. Everybody, every source I talk to, Oklahoma is one of the top two. Oklahoma, Oklahoma, Oklahoma. Okay, so I've heard Texas is one of them. I've heard Texas is not. I've heard Alabama is one of them. I've heard Alabama is not. I've heard LSU is one of them. I heard LSU is not. But I keep hearing Oklahoma. And that is usually, if you're going to go off of where you think a kid is going to end up, what is the common denominator? It's almost like Scooby Williams, the four-star outside linebacker out of Alabama, Birmingham, Alabama. You always hear Auburn and you always hear Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. I've heard Florida is out of it. I've heard Florida's in it. I've heard Georgia's in it. I've heard Georgia's out of it. But you want to know the two teams I hear every time? Auburn. Oklahoma. So you would know those are probably the top two teams. And he yeah. keeps pushing back because Scooby Williams wants to see Oklahoma. And from what I'm told, sources tell me that a certain five-star quarterback may fly down and go see him himself. That's crazy, isn't it? Oh, yeah. It's insane. That, that's, 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 how, that's how crazy he is. Like, everybody that doesn't think... That's, that's what I'm trying to tell everybody. The, the opposing fan base is like, there's no way they put all this together without Oklahoma. There's no way they do this or that. Dude, this cat is talking about flying down and seeing Bryce Foster in person and watching one of his games and going to flying to Birmingham, Alabama to watch Scooby Williams. Yeah. That's how bad this dude and how good of a recruiter this cat is. Oh, yeah. And, and That's how good Caleb Williams is on the recruiting trail. He's going to be a guy – I, I, I kind of want to write a column or something about this. I mean, when Texas and Oklahoma look back on this time frame, especially this recruiting area, they're going to look at this specific period as probably moments that change the trajectory – of each respective squad. Yeah. I mean, Caleb Williams and Quinn Ewers right now, all you hear about right now are how those two guys are going all out on the recruiting trail to make sure they have dudes around them. And I think we talk about Caleb Williams. I mean, 
you just can't discount any sort of effort from this guy right now. And I, right. you know, like Caleb is a great guy to be around. I think he's an absolute stud, not only on the field, but off the field. And I'm very excited to see what he does beyond just the game. Right. Yeah. But I mean, it's these things that indicate, okay, this guy is going to be able to do something really special in an OU uniform. And it's because of the efforts that he's doing right now. Now, to kind of circle this back into the Kamar Wheaton discussion. You talk about how OU is always kind of impressive. I think, okay, LSU in or out, Alabama in or out, Texas in or out. I mean, SMU for the longest time. Oh, that was another one, SMU, yeah. SMU for the longest time had been considered the heavy favorite. Why? Because of proximity. Yeah, and Rashad, Rashad Samples. Yeah, proximity and relationships. Yep. But what does Oklahoma also have right now? Proximity and relationship. Now, I will say that DeMarco is still building his in comparison to where Rashad's at. Right. DeMarco has a ways to go. But obviously, the staff members before DeMarco have been pursuing Kamar for quite some time, i.e. Lincoln Riley. Let me me real quick interject there. DeMarco is going to be a great recruiter. First year at Oklahoma, uh, he's learning. He he learned the ropes at Arizona and that landscape. Now he's got to learn a different landscape region at Oklahoma. Yes, he played at OU. Yes, he knows a thing or two about Oklahoma football. But it's different learning and building these relationships with the coaches and getting all that. Now, is he good at that? He's fantastic at it. But it's still going to take time to build that trust and stuff. And I think two years from now, he's going to be one of the better recruiters in the country at that position. That's just my spiel right now. So go ahead. No. And what better way to challenge himself and build himself up as a recruiter than to take on the enigmatic individual of Kamarwi. I mean, (laughs) one of the most interesting recruiting personalities that you can deal with on the entire 2021 trail. And head to head with Stan Drayton and Rashad Samples, two of the better guys, too. Yep, and it, like this for, for DeMarco will be an incredible learning experience. And in the end, if he's able to pull this off and land Kamar, then boom. I mean, that should be an indicator that great things are ahead for yep. Murray, football coach. But right now, I mean, what Murray does have helping him is the obvious factor of Lincoln Riley and, and yeah. some of the other offensive staff members who have pursued Kamar for quite some time. Obviously, this this family relationship type of priority is going to be something that continues to weigh on Wheaton's mind. But sure, DeMarco, who will be his position coach, hasn't necessarily been there forever. But I mean, there's a reason OU is still constantly in that. And that's because of that strong relationship in Riley, the offensive staff, and then, of course, proximity that also weighs in as well and so in the end i'm gonna tell you right now man like kamara wheaton anyone who tells you they truly have a read on the guy is just kidding yourself but i think we can all agree on the recruiting trail right now that oklahoma is in a pretty outstanding position given the circumstances that surround kamara wheaton the ou football program and college football recruiting in general you have to after he go. He just got to hang out with uh, Tristan Lee, Savion Bird, Caleb Williams, Jalil Farouk. 
obviously himself, Cody Jackson, uh, Talon Shetron. I mean, you're talking about dudes, and they're all there. Colin Montgomery. Those are eight guys that you sit there and you go offensively that you're like, if you're Kamar, you're like, okay, I can play with these guys because I know they're all really good players. All those guys aren't committed to Oklahoma, but neither is Kamar. And he's probably like, well, if they're considering Oklahoma this this heavily, I should too. And that's kind of where, and and then you get the exchange of phone number with Caleb Williams. Now he's going to, Kamar will probably be putting that group text with everybody. I mean, there's, there's a lot of things that happened this weekend that will domino along down the line. And that's where you're really going to see what kind of effects the Sooner Summit actually had. Yeah. So I, that's kind of what we can touch on here on the podcast. I mean, there's not, I know we were vague about things, but we went into great detail on OUinsider.com. Uh, again, you can go 50% off uh, right now uh, to the end of August. So basically $53 gets you uh, nearly $120 worth in VIP value where you can want to go month to month throughout the season uh, and all the recruiting. You can pay $1 now and nine ninety five a month, however you want to do it. Uh, we'd love to have you. We're really fast growing. We have led or been in the top two at 247 for like the past two years. Uh, as far as VIP additions every month. So uh, Sooner fans, you guys are great. Uh, and it's all thanks to you. And obviously my man, Colin Kennedy, for being so awesome uh, at his job. And Joey Helmer, RJ Young, Brian Bishop, everybody at OU Insider really, really has really taken charge of the site and really done a really good job. And then you have Steve Wiltfong, Brandon Huffman, Greg Biggins, um, Mike Roach has helped us, even though he works for Texas. Uh, say what? Blair Angulo as Blair well. Blair Angulo. Um, trying to thank uh, Alan Treu, uh, Brian Doan. Um, shoot, uh, crap! I, I can't think. There's so many national guys that yeah. do so many things. Brad Crawford, uh. Casey Cosgrove. I mean, so many dudes that come on there and work and do a lot of big things for us on 247 and OUinsider.com that make it so great. I mean, articles, whether it's free, VIP, daily, 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 and we love it. We love it. So much interaction with all the thousands and thousands of OU fans on our VIP board, too. So it's fun. Uh, I enjoy working with my favorite person in the world, Colin Kennedy. <laughs> <laughs> no, for real. Colin, Colin's my dude. We talk every day. So, uh, no, I, I know this was a long podcast, but there's more coming. We have Brandon Sneed, uh, who is the author of one of the coolest and uh, one of the best books that I've been looking forward to uh, as far as reading material goes. It comes out on August. 25th and it's titled uh sooners the making of a football coach lincoln riley's rise from west texas to the university of oklahoma it goes on sale wherever you can buy books tomorrow and he's going to be on with us next so first i want to thank colin kennedy for being on here for this long 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 conversation of covering recruiting team news and the sooner summit colin thank you so much thanks pedro we'll do it again soon
All right, buddy. So coming up next, we have Brandon Sneed, uh, the author of Sooners, The Making of a Football Coach, Lincoln Riley's Rise from West, West Texas to the University of Oklahoma. He wrote a biography on it. It's going to be a huge hit in Oklahoma. Be sure you stay in and listen to that right here on the OU Insider Podcast. All right. Well, we had a change of plans here. Uh, we were going to have Brandon Sneed on this podcast, but we're going to do that a, a standalone podcast here uh, with how long this podcast took. Uh, we're just going to go ahead and push Brandon Sneed and give it all to him, his own podcast. Uh, the book is awesome. I recommend you all get it. Once again, it is The Making of a College Coach. Uh, Lincoln Riley, The Rise from West Texas to the University of Oklahoma, comes out today, August 25th. You can find it everywhere, everywhere that you can buy books. You can listen to it. Uh, If you have Audible, you can buy it on Audible. You can do all that stuff. Uh, I recommend it. I am starting it. I got it uh, given to me. Thank you, Brandon Sneed and his publisher, uh, for sending me a copy. I'm getting a hard copy sent to me as well. Uh, I cannot wait. Uh, but I do recommend you listening to that podcast because he has some awesome Lincoln Riley stories. And if you're an OU fan and you really want to know Lincoln Riley, that podcast and the book will walk you through so many different things that I didn't even know about Lincoln Riley. And I cover the guy every day. It's awesome. Please listen. Uh, to the podcast, and please buy that book. Uh, Brendan Sneed has put in a lot of work for it. Over the past couple of years, he actually followed the team in 2017 uh, and did a huge story on just the rise of Lincoln Riley then uh, for Bleacher Report. So he's an excellent writer, one of the best there is out there when it comes to college football, super knowledgeable, and he's a fun listen to on the podcast and a very, very good read uh, with the biography that he came out came out with uh, today, Lincoln Riley. It is once again called Lincoln Riley, uh, The Rise of... Well, it's actually called The Rise of Lincoln Riley from West Texas to the University of Oklahoma. You can find it right now everywhere, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, uh, Audible. Please listen to it. Uh, thank you once again. Please subscribe to OUinsider.com. You all have a blessed day.